Welcome to an episode of Find Your Voice, a movement led by yours truly, Aaron Dew, a guy who has overcome crippling anxiety, adversity, and difficulty like so many of you in life, whose main goal now is to help you combat your excuses, take control of your life, write your own story, and most importantly, find your voice. So now, without further ado, I welcome the host of the show himself, Mr. Aaron Dew. What's going on, people? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Find Your Voice. My name is Aaron, and as always, I am the host of the show. So firstly, before I begin this introduction, I just want to send a massive heartfelt love from myself and the Find Your Voice community to all those who have suffered with baby loss. We are now in Baby Loss Awareness Week, which obviously starts from the 9th to the 15th of October. And secondly, I want to acknowledge my guest. So she told an incredibly emotive story. And being an empath myself, I really got taken in, got drawn in with this story, and I did struggle. It did catch me off guard. And I've had some unbelievable guests on this show who have shared their stories and really help change my mindset, change other people's lives, change perception. But when Gurinder speaks about her adversity and the fact that she had to go through seven miscarriages in her life, it was very, very difficult to listen to. But what an incredible woman. You see, throughout her journey, one of the things that kept her going was hope. And funnily enough, she actually has an incredible blog, which we're going to speak about in this episode, which I certainly urge you to have a look at. But what really got me excited throughout this episode, irrespective of all the adversity and all the trauma that she's been through, bless her, her and her husband, was the light at the end of the tunnel. And the light at the end of the tunnel was something that myself and Gurinder have in common. And that is how we both have a similar mission. And that's to help people find their voice. And it's to give people who may not necessarily believe they have a voice, a voice as well. And to discuss the taboo subjects and empower people to realise that they're not alone in whatever their circumstances are or whatever their situations are. So it's about trying to understand that our problems aren't exclusive to ourselves and that people out there have been through similar circumstances. And I understand 100% that in that moment that may not necessarily be what you want to hear But just knowing and having that sense of hope or knowing that somebody out there has been through something similar or maybe worse or maybe just a little bit less and persevered gives you that sense of hope. So I sincerely hope you enjoyed this episode. It would be fantastic if you could share this on your social media, but also go back and check the other episodes as well because adversity is the main theme behind this podcast, but it's also about empowering you to go out there and find your voice. So without further ado, let's get this interview on the way. So I would like to welcome Gurinder onto today's show, Find Your Voice. And we just had a lovely chat actually for a few moments just before we started. But Gurinder, if you wouldn't mind, if you could maybe give the listeners a little bit about your story and tell them why you are on the show today. Of course, I would love to do that. Um, So I am Gurinder. And um, if I just give you a bit of a chronological rundown of my life, that might um, show you the journey that I've I've been on. Um, So growing up, I had a pretty textbook life, Um, great parents, really hardworking and instilled a real kind of work hard ethic in me and my three sisters. Um, I did great at school. I went to university, got a first class degree. Um, I moved to London, became a management consultant for uh, 10 years. And I had so many brilliant opportunities come along with that. Um, And I I was just really lucky. I had a brilliant career, lots of travel, um, promotions and everything that you could want from your first career after graduating. Um, And I then, you know, went down the normal path. I found um, uh, the man of my dreams. We got married. Um, We kind of settled into married life together. And then as you do, when you start to settle down, you think about starting a family so a few years into marriage, we thought, yeah, we're ready for this. Let's let's have a baby. And like everything else in life, everything went smoothly and we got pregnant. So life 
kind of up until that point was pretty textbook and I'm really lucky to have had that journey in the early part of my life. Um, but then let's start the middle part of my life, which became a bit messy. So the messy middle, I'll call it. Um, and this is where my pregnancy journey didn't turn out as I would have thought it, as I thought it would. Um, I, in the early stages of that first pregnancy, I didn't feel too good. I was away with work at, at that time up north um, and just started to feel excruciating pain and I thought, is this what pregnancy's like? And because it was my first pregnancy, I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't have any clue of, as to what to expect. Um, and I was on my own up up north, um, and it was just a really weird time. Actually, um, I then had a major bleed, and I was. I was I was worried, but I was sat on Google looking at is this normal? Yeah, I re resorted to Doctor Google, and it's a dangerous place. Do you know what it really is? Because some of the answers were saying it's fine. Lots of people bleed in early pregnancy, and some people bleed throughout their pregnancy. So I thought maybe it's okay. But then I was reading other things that were saying you know if it's a lot of blood and you're in pain, this isn't good. Um. So somehow I endured the night, but for some reason in the in the early hours of the morning, it was about three o'clock, and I thought, you know what, I, I something's not right, and I'm due to go home later on today on the train, and I don't think I should be going on the train. Um, so let's get to hospital. Bef you know, they might give me the all clear and say it's fine, and I can go into um, the office and do my day's work and then get home. But if something's wrong, I think I need to know about it sooner rather than later. So I called a taxi and at four o'clock in the morning, I was um, off to the local hospital. And I have to say, I was a bit of an emotional wreck at the time because I I, I didn't have a clue what was going on. Um, I didn't know if um, the pain that I had and the bleeding was normal. Um, and I had nobody around me. Um, I told my husband, obviously, on the phone what was going on. Um, but, you know, he was in London at the time, a good four, five hours drive away. Mm -hmm. And I just, you know, got myself off to hospital. And I think the doctor that saw me saw kind of the fear in my eyes and that real feeling of uncertainty because I, I was asking him I was like you know do you think I'll be okay to get the train back to London this evening and I think I think he must have felt sorry for me because he said okay I'll get you sent to the um, uh, gynecology team and they'll they'll check you out and I and they did some tests and everything and I just sat in this waiting room I think they knew that something wasn't right but they also knew that you know this poor girl is going to just go back to her hotel room and just sit and you know be an emotional wreck if we give her this news straight away so they let me just sit in um, a waiting room um, for what felt like hours and I actually think it was hours because they didn't you know want me to go home sorry didn't want me to go back to the hotel um, and be alone. So they did say, you know, have you got somebody coming up? And I said, yeah, husband's on his way. He's going to be a good few hours. And they kept me in the hospital that whole time. And shortly before he arrived, they, you know, came in and delivered the news that I had miscarried. And it actually felt like, I know I'd had all these awful symptoms, but it felt like somebody had taken a sledgehammer and just hit me over the head with it because it was probably the, yeah, it was the first time in my life where something didn't go according to plan. And it came out of the blue because I'd never heard of anybody talk about a miscarriage ever before. So I didn't know what it was. Um, and I didn't, you know, you don't think it's going to happen to you. Mm. And it was just a really, it was a, a, sh a devastating shock at the news, but also at everything and the emotion that came with it, because I just wasn't expecting it. 
Um, and so I thought, you know what, I'm going to keep this to myself until my husband gets here because he had this long drive um, up north and I thought I don't want him to know that and then have to drive. And so that, you know, concludes my first experience of miscarriage. But that didn't stop us on this journey to be parents. And we, you know, shortly after got pregnant again. And unfortunately, we had a second miscarriage. And then we got pregnant for a third time. And again, miscarried. And you can imagine when life was going really well for me to then have these, you know, three consecutive blows was just, it was just mind boggling. I couldn't comprehend how this had happened and how it could happen and how it could keep happening. Um, Because I certainly hadn't, I hadn't heard of anybody having a miscarriage, let alone three in a row. And so what happens when you have three miscarriages in a row, that's called recurrent miscarriage. And that triggers within the NHS, you know, you go down a different route and you get referred to a specialist recurrent miscarriage clinic and they carry out tests and try to understand what's going on and if there's anything um, they can do to treat the cause of the miscarriages. And do you know what? It was really bizarre when I went to the doctor and got that referral because part of me was kind of fighting it and saying, do you know what? There's nothing wrong with me. I'm fine. I'm absolutely mm-hmm. fine. You know, that, and it's that denial. I think I was in that phase of denial at that point. And so when I was referred to the recurrent miscarriage clinic, I had numerous tests done and I was in a way hoping that they would come back clear, but I was also hoping that they would come back with a cause so that it could be treated so that we could put an end to the miscarriages. And so they did all of these tests and everything came back clear and I just couldn't understand it. There was one thing that that came back that was so easily treated with um, a baby aspirin. So in pregnancy, a woman's blood clots more than it would than when she's in uh, not in pregnancy, pregnant state. Um, But my blood was clotting a little bit more than it should. So a simple treatment of aspirin would resolve that. And so, you know, got pregnant again and took the aspirin. And this time had some scares in the early part of the pregnancy, but went to hospital, got checked out. We baby had a heartbeat and, you know, things were looking good. And I remember the consultant saying, now that we've detected a heartbeat, your chances of miscarriage are reduced significantly. So part of me thought, oh, great, the aspirin's working and I'm in the clear because the chances are really low for this happening again because we've detected a heartbeat. And I pushed for him to just book me in for another scan a couple of weeks later. And when I went in for that scan, I just thought, this is just routine. It was just me asking for it. So, you know, I'm sure it's fine. Um, And I went in. I remember my mum and my sister were with me at the time. And the doctor kind of came round, was doing the scan and, and just took forever. And I thought, she's she's a you know a junior doctor why is she taking so long to to find the heartbeat because this is longer than I've I've ever had to to sit and wait and she just said oh just give me a minute and she kind of walked behind the curtain and brought in the main consultant and he started scanning and I think instantly my mum and sister knew something was wrong but something in me was still saying do you know what it's going to be okay um let the more experienced consultant, you know, find the heartbeat. He he knows what he's doing. And he then turned to me and said, Gorinda, there's no heartbeat now. And what's happened is you've had a, a missed miscarriage. And that is a miscarriage where the baby has has passed away, but it hasn't left your body yet. Um, it's like your body hasn't kind of dealt with it in the way it normally would. And so he said, we'll have to, you know, book you in for a surgery to remove the baby. 
Um, and that surgery is an awful surgery. It's called, um, the name of it is awful. It's called an ERPC, which is the evacuation of the retained products of conception. And you can imagine hearing those words, and I've heard other women since just talk about that and say, what a way to, you know, label a baby, something that people have hoped for. And, you know, in the medical sense, it's termed a product of conception. But that's a, that's a different story. So then I was booked in for the following day to have um, that procedure. And the consultant was brilliant. He wanted to get that done as soon as possible because he said we can get whatever, you know, they could extract sent off for testing to see if there were any chromosomal abnormalities with the baby. And interestingly, all of those tests also came back clear, um, saying there was nothing, you know, chromosomally wrong. So that was pregnancy number four. And then we went on to have another pregnancy and I miscarried that pregnancy too. So you can imagine just this constant roller coaster of, um, at first, you know, a, a deep feeling of joy to have gotten pregnant so many times naturally, but then, you know, so short lived and to lose the baby and the emotion and the grief and everything that comes with that. Um, so then we, got pregnant again pregnancy six and I sound like a broken record now but we miscarried that pregnancy too so now we're up to six miscarriages and it's probably worth pointing out that these were early miscarriages and an early miscarriage is one that happens before 12 weeks um, and they are the most common um, type of, of miscarriage those early ones. and so then you know, there's loads of emotions going around, like, can I actually do this? Um, why is medicine not finding any better answers so that we can treat whatever's going on? Because surely something is going on here. Um, but anyway, we got pregnant again for the seventh time. And this pregnancy felt a little bit different. And I got to the 12 week stage. And you know, they say once you're at 12 weeks, you, you're in pretty much in the clear, you're in the safe zone. So I got to 12 weeks and unfortunately, my dad passed away all of a sudden at that point in time um, while he was on holiday. So there was that big blow and I had this feeling inside of me like I hadn't, I hadn't told dad that I was pregnant and he would have been so over the moon that I'd got to that stage and but anyway then we're dealing with the aftermath of of you know losing the person who was my rock in this world and so that was that was really tough because you know there's completely mixed emotions there happiness that I've got to this safe zone of 12 weeks but then I've lost my dad so yeah that was really tough and then my pregnancy thankfully continued and I was I was so grateful for that because um, it was my you know light amongst all of the grief of, of losing losing dad. Um, pregnancy continued got to four months got to five months and the next milestone is a 20-week scan and we had the 20-week scan and the sonographer was you know, happy. She said, everything's looking great, counted the fingers and toes and looked at the heart chambers and just said, everything is as it should be for this, this stage in the pregnancy. And if I'm honest, this was the first time that me and my husband actually thought this could happen. So bearing in mind, we've got to tw 20 weeks, that's five months into this pregnancy. And we hadn't let ourselves believe that it was possible just because of our history. But at this scan, it was like, gosh, we need to make some lists. We need to buy some things. We need to get things ready. And, you know, we did just that. We started making all these lists of things we'd buy and which room would be the nursery and all of that stuff. But that was also short-lived because 
um, not long after that 20 week scan. So at um, almost 22 weeks, I had this awful pain and a little bit of bleeding. And we went into hospital, got checked out. And, you know, sonographer said, oh, I've got the heartbeat, baby's okay. And I thought, okay, great. But I'm I've got these pains. Maybe that's normal. Who knows? Went home and the following day, around the same time, again, had this pain. And all of a sudden, pretty much out of the blue, I realized that I was having contractions two minutes apart. So they just came all of a sudden. um, And when they're two minutes apart, that means you're close to having your baby. And so we got straight to the hospital, um, waters broke and the doctors, you know, checked me out and he said, your baby is coming. It was devastating because I thought I was just here yesterday and how is this possible? And all of a sudden, our, you know, my bed is being wheeled into the labour ward directly into the bereavement suite. So that said it all that this baby wasn't going to survive. And we got to the bereavement suite and there were three or four nurses, doctors all in there waiting because, you know, they got the call ahead. A baby is coming right now. Um, And all of a sudden, after my waters broke, the contractions just kind of slowed down and then stopped. And I was really confused at this point. I thought, is this baby coming now or not? Is she okay? So we were having a girl. And one of the nurses came in and said, I'll do a scan just to see what's going on. And miraculously, our fighting little daughter still was still okay. She still had a heartbeat in there. Um, It's just that the fluid around her had gone because my waters had broken and you know the nurses and doctors they said well the fluid around the baby does regenerate itself and I just thought oh my gosh so she's going to be okay we just need this fluid to regenerate because without it she's at risk of infection so you can imagine this roller coaster of it's okay it's not okay oh it's going to be okay and then you know, it, it's just really draining because you don't know if you're coming or going. And so we got through the night and all was well. We got through the next day. And again, the nurse checked a baby's heartbeat. It's still there. She's still doing well. And so there's us thinking, do you know what? It's going to be all right. We just need to get to 24 weeks because that's when um, a baby is considered viable and the hospital will help and put her on machinery and everything else um, if she's born alive. But then the next day, something didn't feel great and uh, all of a sudden labour started again and I delivered my sleeping baby and it was it was horrendous. Because as I say, it was such a roller coaster in those few days that the last piece that I was feeling was was hope that it was going to be okay, and then to all of a sudden um, just feel her coming and for her to be born sleeping was just was just awful. And so there, in a we lost our seventh pregnancy, and that seventh pregnancy. While I went through the whole process of labour, because of the timing of it, so because it was before 24 weeks, that's actually called a late miscarriage, not a stillbirth. And there's something really interesting with the word miscarriage versus stillbirth. Whenever I've used the word miscarriage to describe that seventh pregnancy, in people's minds, I think they think it's, you know, the body's just dissolved the pregnancy and it's just gone away. When actually, in reality, most miscarriages that happen after about 14 weeks um, that are classed as late miscarriages, the mum still has to deliver the baby. She goes through labour, you know, that she has a baby to hold at the end of it. 
And I don't think the terminology of a late miscarriage makes that clear. So there we have it, seventh pregnancy also lost. And you can imagine, (laughs) you can imagine how I'm feeling at this point. And I said to my husband, I said, this is it. I'm not doing this ever again. How can I keep putting my body through it? It's this is just horrific and I wouldn't wish it on anybody. And I think I need to take the signs that this just isn't going to happen. And then we, you know, that was the immediate aftermath of of having our daughter who we named Gia. And then the next step in that journey is having a funeral. So we got through that. We then kind of shut ourselves away for a little while just to just to process everything that happened and where we were and how we were feeling. And in in that time, I know I said, I was was like, no, I'm never doing it again. But I just thought, you know what? I think I've still got it in me. I know that I'm going to have a baby. And I just, I knew that I would have a baby. And so probably a, a, good number of months later, maybe, I think it was probably um, six months later, after seeing our consultant actually on the NHS this time, um, a brilliant consultant who I believe was fundamental in my eighth pregnancy. He cared for me and he he actually um, made it like a personal um journey for him to help me have a baby and it's amazing how these people kind of just come into your life and help you and and have your cause as their cause and he cared for us like I say throughout my eighth pregnancy and I went on to have a baby and it felt so miraculous I couldn't I couldn't believe it and every day in the pregnancy was like let's just get through today that's all I need to do is get through today um and yeah it was it was like something I can't explain and I can if I rewind ever so slightly when I lost Gia something happened for me And I realised that I was not going to keep her a secret because a lot of people around me didn't know about the early miscarriages that I'd had or the number of miscarriages I'd had. But when I gave birth to Gia, it was like, she's my daughter. I've given birth to her. I've held her. I've spent time with her. She's had a funeral and she has existed in this world And I'm not going to let her name disappear. And in doing that, I kind of found myself. I found who I was again. And I started to find my voice. And I decided that I was going to start a blog. And... I started a blog, it's called A Drug Named Hope. And I just, I didn't I didn't know if anybody would read it. I didn't actually care if anybody read it because at the time it was just, this is me making my stake in the ground that this is what I've been through. And I've had, I've got a daughter and she exists and I'm gonna acknowledge her um, and I'm gonna remember her and commemorate her whenever I can. And I'm gonna say her name. And so I started this blog and the first couple of weeks it exploded and I was just astonished at how many people were interested in the story and who then privately shared their stories with me. And I just thought, goodness me, there's a whole world of people out there who are going through this. And in fact, one in four women experience loss of a baby at all stages. And it's just it was mind boggling that these people were reaching out for support and for just for themselves to raise their voice and say, this has happened to me and I want to put put it out there. 
And so, yeah, I found the actual therapy in writing that blog. And in doing so, I created my own little rituals to remember um, Gia. And, and, and in fact, I found so many connections with so many people through the blog that it was like a lifeline and it gave me strength. It gave me support. And equally, I think it gave strength and support to so many other people as well. So that was that was probably a turning point for me, because like I say, I would say that helped me reconnect with myself, find myself and find my voice. Um, and in that, like I say, I think there was a lot of healing in putting this out there rather than holding on to this journey putting it out there accepting it and telling people this is this is what's been going on with me and it's up to you now how you deal with that um just was miraculous that worked wonders for me and so once i i put that blog out there it was then that we embarked on the journey to the eighth pregnancy and you know as i summarized earlier it 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 worked and I'm forever grateful for the people that played a role in me having Simran and that was just an amazing period in in my life however in having what I always wanted which was my living child and having this community that I'd created and you know a voice in the world I found that I retreated somewhat. So in the two, so Simran turned two um, a week, couple of weeks ago, and I barely blogged in those two years. And that's not what I intended. I thought I want to blog throughout my pregnancy and throughout motherhood. And I want to paint the real picture of what it's like, you know, um, didn't want to gloss over it warts and all I wanted to share the story but I didn't and I couldn't understand why am I resisting doing what I want to do and I realized that I was holding on to a lot of guilt because the community that I'd created through my blog and who had reached out to me and who were in a similar situation to me I thought I've now moved past that how on earth can I now kind of rub it in their faces that oh I've got a baby and I'm having trouble with sleep with her sleeping and all the real you know nitty-gritty practical things that happen when you have a baby would come up and I, I just felt awful that I'd be putting that out into a community of people who were going through the pain of having a child does that make sense absolutely so I, I had that guilt playing on my mind for so long. And it's now in the last couple of months that I've actually worked through that. Um, and I've started blogging again. And I've got so much that I want to talk about. And I realized actually in me processing that guilt that in me sharing my story, there is hope. That is what a lot of people want to hear. They want to see that there is light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and I realized that, you know, my message is bigger than my guilt and my fears and what I want and the change that I want to see in the world. Um, you know, I want people to know that they aren't alone as they experience baby loss. I want people to know how to have the conversation around baby loss. And so, you know, that's why I was so eager to, to talk to you, Aaron, and I, and why I thank you for being brave enough to kind of go there with such um, such a topic, because it is it is still considered a taboo in all communities, but I think especially in the Asian community. Um, and, you know, this is going out in Baby Loss Awareness Week. And I think there's so much we can be doing to raise awareness of baby loss and help people around us feel less alone. 
Um, and so over the course of Baby Loss Awareness Week on my blog, I'm going to be posting things that people can um, be doing to reach out to others and to support this cause. Um, so I encourage people to just follow um, follow along and follow the advice so that you're part of this discussion um, and you can be there for people around you who are going through this um, and for people who are going through this to know that you are not alone and you've got you know a safe space to share your stories um, and create the mark of your child on this world as well um, so in a really, really long introduction, I'm I'm conscious of that, Aaron. That's where I'm at today. Um, I have been through this whole journey and I'm finally back at the place where I am ready. I'm back. I found my calling. I found my purpose. And it's to give a voice to this subject, this taboo subject, um, and to help people, you know, feel less alone. Um, and to break down these barriers that that we we have in this painful area. I think just while I um just while I gather my own thoughts, I've got a bit of a frog in my throat. If I'm completely honest, it's, it's probably been the hardest episode that I've ever had to listen to. Um, oh really? I, and, and I'll be completely honest, I, I didn't think it was gonna. <sighs> Sorry, it's, it's it's just been very difficult to hear that. And you said somewhere in there you can imagine how I'm feeling I just can't I don't know how just while I gather my thoughts I just want to firstly just start by saying a massive happy birthday to Simran for her second birthday thank you that was a part of the story that really cheered me up and my nose is running now <laughs> <laughs> I'll probably have to edit this bit out but I just want to say Grind, honestly you are one of the strongest people I've ever had the pleasure of speaking with you can probably hear my voice shaking right now and I just want to acknowledge you for your bravery, your honesty and transparency in sharing this story first and foremost. And also as well, I think we can't forget another very important person as part of this process is your husband as well. You know, I'm, I'm just very, very happy for you both now that obviously you've got Simran in your lives as well. And I'm sure, you know, she, she's blessed. Now I have 300 questions that I want to ask you, <laughs> if I may. So if we can take you back and I don't want to obviously keep resurfacing these emotions that you've been through. But I think it will be important for somebody who maybe only got to a recurrent stage or maybe just their first miscarriage, if that's okay with you. Sure. So you had this recurrent miscarriage stage, which is obviously when you've had three and then you have extra special care taken. Yeah. Could you just maybe share some of your emotions at that point for somebody who's potentially listening right now? Yeah, of course. Um, I think after the first one, it was just sheer disbelief that this has happened and just really raw emotions because like I said up until that point my life was really my life had gone so smoothly I was so Absolutely. fortunate and I had never experienced um life not going my way before so that it was like a real shock I can I can only explain the first one as just being in shock mm. and it started the process of denial because you know, nobody wants to accept that there's something wrong in their lives, do they? Um, and so I just thought, do you know what? The stats say one in four pregnancies end mm. in miscarriage. OK, so I'm that one in four. But then the stats also say that in a second pregnancy, you're likely to go on to, you know, everything's going to be OK. So I lived in that space of denial and that, you know, there was anything wrong Um until the third miscarriage that's when I thought something is wrong how did you feel about yourself if you don't mind me asking yeah to be honest I didn't at any point think oh my gosh um this is all my fault there's something Good. wrong with me and I'm never gonna have a baby and oh my goodness I didn't I didn't feel that I didn't I think I'm a strong enough person inside myself to know that blame isn't going to get me out of this and it felt like a bit of a mechanical process to say okay so what's the next step I'm a mm. solver I like to solve problems my career to date has been in transformation and we solve we get to the bottom of things and we make things better um, and that's where I went with this it was like okay so refer me to this recurrent miscarriage clinic they're going to give me the answers they're going to find the uh, the solution and give me the 
drugs, the medicine that I need to get this sorted. Um, So I kind of went into real practical mode. But I'd have to say an undertone in the back of my mind was also around my faith. So I've always had a really strong faith and belief that, you know, God is working in my life. Um, But at at this point, when I've had miscarriage after miscarriage, I thought, what is God doing to me now? Where's he gone? And my faith took a real battering at that point. Um, And then I was, you know, I was resorting to medicine. I was like, medicine's going to fix this. Mm. But then when that was all coming back clear, I was like, so what the hell is going on? And it was in this process that I started to just just reconnect with with myself. Um, So actually, yeah, there was a whole gamut of emotions going on. And against the backdrop of it, you know, being really practical and let's get to the solution. There was this real, you know, earth moving piece of my faith being really knocked. And I think that is something that I remember from that period of those first three miscarriages. Thank you for sharing that. I just thought that was a really important point, how you didn't blame yourself. And I can only imagine for ladies who have to take this burden on themselves. I think for a guy, I think we sometimes take it for granted. We have so little to do in relation to the whole pregnancy thing. Yeah. I think it's an important message for anyone listening that it's not your fault and that women can recognise that. And I want to just touch on the blog now. I think people should obviously reach out to you directly through your blog. Obviously, there's a lot more that especially ladies who have gone through this and maybe even men as well, just to kind of understand what it's like for their other half if they were to have a miscarriage. And the important thing there is the healing side. And you mentioned, obviously, you went off the whole blogging side because you were almost feeling guilty. Yeah. And I love that last bit is that your message is much bigger. Your message is bigger that people need to hear that. And like I said, it was the most difficult, probably 20, 30 minutes I've had, had to listen to. But then that element of hope at the end is what's going to really keep those people moving forward. So those yeah. ladies who are broken, who have sadly gone through whatever tragedies it is, when you see light at the end of the tunnel, especially somebody who's been through a seventh, and it's not a numbers game because I, I can only imagine they're all just as bad as each other. But yeah. in the back of my mind, and I'm yet to have kids, and I I can't imagine what it's going to be like if that ever happened to me. So I, I can't sit here and pretend to understand. But there would also be that element that if God forbid something did happen on a first or second occasion, just knowing that somebody out there has persevered and the eighth attempt had a child, it kind of gives you an element of hope, if that makes sense. I hope that yeah. doesn't come across as insensitive or anything. Not at all. So thank you for sharing that. And obviously you've raised light. I mean, I wasn't aware of the statistics one in four. We, we spoke briefly offline. I've I've had people in my family who have obviously miscarried and obviously you've had similar experiences as well. So it is a cause that I think is going to be really important. And we will get it out, obviously, in Baby Loss Awareness. We can try and obviously change it. But once again, I just want to thank you for um, your bravery in sharing that because I don't know how you said all that because my voice was shaking just listening to you. So <laughs> you're you're a very strong and um, courageous woman. Yeah, thank you. Um, I if you'd have if we'd have had this conversation a few years ago, I don't think I would have been able to sit and have this conversation with you in the way that I am. Um, and um, like I say, the blog was the starting point of my of me finding my voice, and um, that's why your the title of your podcast is just perfect because it is about finding the voice that we have within within us we all have a message that we need to get out into the world big small gigantic and it's it's finding it connecting with it and having the kind of guts to just go out there and say I have a message and this is what it is and to use that voice as shaky as it is and (laughs) was when I was speaking especially when I spoke about my dad I Mm. felt myself going there um but yeah it's hard and it's through these you know vulnerable conversations that we reach out to people we connect with people and you know life is about that it's about connecting um and connecting on a on a deeper more meaningful level um because that's where that's where change starts to happen absolutely absolutely and that's 100 percent the premise behind this show so the important thing i think and i want people to realize is that nobody's story is mundane or nobody's story is 
boring and sometimes we feel like is our story really worth sharing and it is and it could be as trivial or it could be as small it doesn't necessarily need to be seven miscarriages or somebody turning blind or somebody dying to cancer it can just literally be I struggle with this on a daily basis and you'd be yeah. surprised at how many people that will resonate with and how many lives that can actually change so um, I love the work that you're doing if I'm ever going to have a co-host you would definitely be first on my list oh bless you <laughs> but Grinda what I want to ask you now if I may just segue ever so slightly is um, sure. what I found fascinating about your story was a lot of the stories I've had are from people who have had to build resilience from a very young age so it's people that have either come into dysfunctional families or they've been given disabilities as a young person or they've just had a lot of trauma going through life. Using your words, you've had quite an easy life in terms of everything was going fine up until obviously the messy stage of your life. So for someone like that, and I'm always interested to realise how some people can get over certain problems, you obviously wasn't given the opportunity to build resilience. So in that first moment of, say, a miscarriage when something first went wrong, how did you persevere through that just that particular moment and what are the main lessons that you learned from it yeah so I think for me I am I'm quite self-aware and I reflect and Mm. I like to kind of process things and for me getting through the first miscarriage um opened my eyes and it shocked me to realize that you know life doesn't always go your way okay so what are we going to do about it um because I think you could end up stuck in that place of oh gosh this has happened to me how the hell am I going to live my life now whereas actually that's and maybe that's because of my upbringing it's all I've always brought it back to now what can we do how are you going to, am I going to live the rest of my life feeling like this? Or am I going to work through it and process everything that's coming up for me um, in a way that it's dealt with so that I can now move forward? Because, you know, I'm all about moving forward. Um, This journey in life is, you know, one step at a time going in one direction. We don't want to keep stepping back. Um, So, I would say my self-awareness and my ability to reflect um, is what's helped me build resilience from that very first miscarriage onwards. That's fantastic. And just moving on then, so you've obviously faced some of the biggest fears in your life, not just only losing your dad, um, my deepest condolences for that as well, um, but also with all these horrible miscarriages. In this precise moment right now then, knowing everything that you know and being able to self-reflect and be self-aware, what's your biggest fear? Oh, my biggest fear. Have you seen a movie called Up? It's an animation. Yeah. So that movie can help me answer this question. Um, so it's based on a, a young girl she's adventurous she's fearless um, and she's created this kind of book of her big dreams and things she wants to do in life Mm. Um, but as she's got older and um, settled down her book of dreams kind of gets shelved and life just starts to happen Um, she gets old she passes away and her book of dreams is left unfulfilled And I would say that is my worst fear, that all of these things, there's so many things that I want to do. Um, I have such big dreams and change that I want to see and, you know, change I want to inspire in people in our community, that my biggest fear would be to look back on my life and think, bloody hell, I didn't do it. I let fear get in the way or I let something stop me when actually you know that that's why I'm here I've I found my purpose in through adversity um and I just need to go and you know live it now um so yeah so that would be my fear to not live the life that I know I want to live and spread the message that I want to spread and inspire the change that I want to um, inspire. Because I want an essence of me to be left on this planet when I'm no longer here. And, you know, that that would be that would be 
magical for me. An essence of you left on the planet. I love it. Yeah. And um, just on that, actually, so as you were saying that it, it is through our adversity that we actually gain our biggest gift. So this whole notion now of you wanting to leave a massive dent on the world and trying to inspire so, so many people may not have even been possible if you hadn't have gone through all of the adversity that you had gone through. Absolutely. I completely, I completely agree with that. Mm. Um, and that all comes down to mindset as well. So yeah. um, not seeing the adversity as the burden that well, why is this happened to me? Oh, my gosh, my life's over, you know, rather than seeing it like that, look for the learning in the adversity, look for a gift, there's a gift in there somewhere, if we look for it, and if we dare to look for it. Um, so I completely am on the same page with you there that in your adversity you can find so much if you choose to go into the depths of it absolutely if we dare to look for it i love that brilliant so obviously that kind of explains your motivation your inspiration have you got any metrics on that or is it literally just one day at a time you're just trying to maybe change the mindset of somebody else or, or do you have like i want to for, for example change a billion people's lives do you have anything like that on your vision board or goals I do have a vision board mm, right next to fantastic. me here. <laughs> I had a feeling you would do. I honestly had a feeling you would do. Um, so I don't have metrics like that, but I do have, um, I, I'd want to start to break down the barriers mm. um, in all communities, but in the Asian community in particular, yeah. and tackling this subject and not making it a taboo anymore. People need to talk about it one in four people are going through this and we need to be able to have the right conversations around it so I want to equip people with the ability to have those right conversations um, and if I give you a bit of a backdrop to that so when mm -hmm. I would tell people about my miscarriages and I you know like I said I didn't tell everybody about every single one because I didn't want to and I thought they're going to think I'm a broken record and you know I'm just going to be met with really insensitive comments and some of the comments that I had if you don't mind me sharing them please are please things like oh well at least you can get pregnant at least it was early at least it was just a miscarriage my friend had 10 miscarriages and now she's got a baby. So don't worry, it'll happen for you. Oh, did it happen because you were stressed? Um, I know someone who had a stillbirth at nine months. Can you imagine how much worse that is? Those were some of the things that people said to me. And every single one of those is not what you say to somebody who has just lost a baby at any stage of pregnancy. You don't say that. Um, and so I want to move the dial on having more educated conversations around this where women and men feel supported and safe to be able to um, explore what is coming up for them um, and, you know, use their voice and you know, change attitudes of people around them so that they are better supported. Because this is a, a painful journey and a lot of us are, are going to go through it, um, given the stats that that we've mentioned just in relation to what you just said there i mean they're very insensitive comments but i i, I actually i'm doing a separate podcast with them um, three of my friends on a tangent and it's about men's mental health so yeah. about men sharing their vulnerabilities in terms of not always having this bravado and if you want to cry we can cry and if you want to say look i'm an emotional person for example and it's not just to make other men aware that it's okay but it's also to let our sisters our mothers our daughters know why we are the way we are and we recently had this same kind of conversation where it's kind of like you can come home and you can say for example I've got a headache and then all of a sudden the person whoever's in that environment may say oh well I've, I've had a headache since yesterday and it yeah. becomes this kind of comparison game or my pain is worse than your pain and yeah. in that moment the last thing you want to hear is about how your life is better than so-and-so's life because at the end of the day you just care about your own pain in that moment and I think we we've almost become desensitized and insensitive to that and acknowledging it and I'm not sure if people say out of malice I don't think everyone does I think some people are just trying to think of the positive and almost trying to change it but I think that needs to change because they aren't the right examples that you should be saying to someone people yeah. should be present when somebody says something like that
we are going to actually segue then to a bit of a fun part of the show and, and I kind of do this just to kind of give the listeners a bit more about your personality because obviously I'm aware that some of the stories are quite dark and emotive so I'm just going to set the timer Grinda and for 90 seconds I'm going to ask you a quick fire round of multiple choice questions so are you ready? Perfect. Yes I'm ready. Okay fantastic <laughs> so we're going to go in three two one if you could abolish one thing in the world what would it be unkindness your favorite book the source what are you secretly good at that nobody knows baking your biggest role model my dad what would you like to be remembered for inspiring change and helping people live the lives that they were meant to live your biggest goal this year to start using my voice again while i'm finding it coke or pepsi i don't drink fizzy drinks but let's say coke your favorite tv show ever Breaking Bad. Love it. If you could sit with one person in the world for an hour, who would it be? Oh, I'm going to use him again, but my dad, I'd love an hour back with him. No, that's fine. Would you rather know how you would die or when you would die? How? Your number one piece of advice to Simran. Oh, follow your heart. Listen to the voice within because it always knows the way. The ability to fly or be invisible. Be invisible. The number one thing that annoys you. People not listening, not taking the time to listen. Money or fame? Mm, Fame. Your favourite food? Pringles. Would you rather speak all languages or be able to speak to animals? Oh, speak to animals. If you had an extra hour a day, how would you spend it? Being a complete child, messing around with Simran, with no cares or worries about anything else in the world. Love it. And finally... Would you like to be able to read minds or predict the future? Read minds. How amazing would that be? (laughs) That's my answer as well for that. I just think that would be like the greatest gift ever. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, brilliant. So we're almost coming towards the end of the show now. So just two more questions, if I may. So being a firm believer that hindsight is a wonderful thing. And obviously upon reflection, we can always think of ways to get to where we are quicker, easier or with less heartache. Taking that on board, if you could go back maybe to a younger you, maybe before all the adversity was going to happen in your life and you could just whisper something in your ears for the events that would later on unfold, what would you say? I would say it's going to be okay. Trust it. He's, he being God has got you. And finally, this question I ask all of my guests is about legacy. So let's say in 150 years time, science fails to save us all. And all that exists is a book. And this book is about you. And it's about your life and all the weird and wonderful, amazing things that you've in your world. Firstly, what would the title of the book say? And secondly, what would the blurb at the back tell us about you? I think the title would have to be A Drug Named Hope because Mm. that says it all for me. Um, And the blurb at the back would be something along the lines of one woman's courageous journey through the majestic minefield we call life from overcoming adversity finding her voice um, and discovering her true calling she shows us that absolutely anything is possible when you live in hope and let your soul lead the way I think I should write that down I think you should as well, yeah. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll write it down for you and I'll send it to you once I've edited the podcast. <laughs> Brilliant. And just before I give the listeners a chance to obviously connect to you and then check out your blog, are there any questions that you wish I had asked you today? Yes. Okay. So all of those things that I rattled off saying people said all these things to me and it was awful and I don't want to hear anybody say that again. Maybe it's worth me saying what... I would have liked people to say instead of all of that. Yeah. So there's one other thing actually about speaking to people about baby loss. For me, somebody saying all of those insensitive things is one thing, but something that hurt me even more was when people didn't say anything. And it created this real distance because it's like the elephant in the room. I've got something really big that's happening for me and you are failing to just even acknowledge it. Um, so do in my experience, I would say do say something to somebody who's going through this. And all you have to do is be compassionate and, you know, reach out, send them a message and say just say something like, 
I'm if you mean this I'm here for you and I don't know if you don't know what to say be honest with it and say I really don't know what to say but I'm willing to be here with you in whatever capacity you need just let me know and you're doing so many things there you are reaching out you're being honest by saying you don't know what to say and that this is uncomfortable for you as well Mm -hmm. but you are saying that you are willing to put yourself out there and give the person whatever they choose from you and that might be most likely um somebody who's going through any form of adversity doesn't want you doesn't want anybody to sit with them and reel off potential answers or have you tried this why don't you do this I know someone who did this. We don't want to hear that. Actually, all we want to do is speak, is be with what we are feeling and share it and have you hold that space, which makes it safe for us to do that and for you to invest the time in just being there and listening and showing that you're understanding and you're willing to learn if it's something that you don't know much about. Um, And also that you're willing to, you know, where a baby has been born sleeping, where you are able to say the baby's name and acknowledge them and support your friend, family member um, in commemorating their baby at key milestones and just being there in a deeper way than you know the, the blanket responses that people typically tend to tend to give so that would be the last bit that i want to share have the conversation and be willing to be there for somebody going through any form of, of adversity and be willing to just sit with them as they experience a multitude of emotions good bad ugly don't judge them just sit and be with them and make it safe for them to be with these emotions. Because that, like I said before, is where healing happens. I think that's a really, really important uh, point there. And just playing devil's advocate ever so slightly, it's it's probably difficult and people may think that you don't want them to bring it up, for example. So we spoke briefly about episode two, Jin, where he speaks about the death of your sister and actually asking the exact same question. I said, would you like it if we spoke about your sister? And he says, I never forget that my sister died. And every day I I lived that. So actually, if you were to mention her once in a while and say, you know, how are you? Or have you thought about her? Or tell me a little bit about her? Or just like you've just said, is be there for people just to speak and share in a safe place and listen and understand. I think that's a really, really important thing. And obviously I can sit here now in hindsight knowing that. And obviously you've just reaffirmed it as well somebody else who's been through a lot of trauma that you would prefer people to speak I do feel that a lot of people don't know that if that makes sense because I was probably one of those people especially being a shy and anxious person the last thing I would want to do is bring up a subject if I think it's going to make somebody cry or upset but what you're actually saying and Jin said the same and many other people have as well is that it allows you to heal and um, I think I think that's really really important so and there's something about there's something about giving um the person who's going through the adversity a choice so you can start off any dialogue with them by saying you know it's up to you if you want to go there but I just wanted to know that this is you know I want you to know that this is what I'm thinking um but it's up to you if you want to go there and leave it to them because um they may say you know what I'm having a really tough day today and I don't want to go there but ask me again later on um Or they may say, yeah, of course, I'd love to talk to you about whatever it is that's coming up for them. And there's something really powerful in giving choice to the person that is going through the difficult time, because a lot of things in their life probably don't feel like they have a choice or they feel a bit out of control. But at least give them some choice and some control in having a conversation or not um, and just respect their answer so if somebody says not today because I I just can't deal with it today or I don't want to go there that's okay they're not being horrible to you they're just saying they can't physically emotionally take it but that doesn't mean don't ask them again at some point and yeah so give them a choice ask their permission if it's okay to go there and just respect the answer 
Absolutely, absolutely. No, I think that's brilliant. I think the choice of control thing definitely makes a lot more sense. So uh, thank you for sharing that. Is there anything else that you maybe want to say or leave the listeners with? Given that it's Baby Loss Awareness Week, just follow my posts because I'll be sharing more tips and things on what to say, what not to say, reaching out, putting some more statistics out there. Um, And just help me in breaking down this... um, topic which is such a taboo and it doesn't need to be i think that would be really useful you just mentioned some great tips there on helping us on the things that we need to say i will certainly be supporting that myself and gurinder just before you go could you just give us the best place people can contact you a drug named hope.com i'm on instagram i'm new to instagram so bear with me mm-hmm. <laughs> that's fine. also a drug named hope and facebook page a drug named hope Okay, fantastic. So um, I just want to take this moment again just to acknowledge you and thank you so much for sharing your story. I urge you all to follow Grinda and obviously you can learn a lot more from that. So for everyone at home, thank you for listening. Thank you. And remember, this podcast is absolutely free. So all we ask in return is for you to share this with a friend and drop us a five-star review over on iTunes. Have an awesome day.